Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I am your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle, Dion Tyree Gordon. Enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. If you've been listening to this podcast for long enough, you've probably heard me talk quite often about virtue signaling, token symbolism, and performative allyship. What do I mean by that? What I mean when I say those things is when I see people who are phony and fraudulent in their intentions and pretend to actually care about something when they know in reality they don't give a fuck about that cause, they pretend to champion, that's token symbolism. That's virtue signaling. That's performative allyship. You see examples of all three of those things quite often in politics, and in particular with the Democrats. The Democrats could and should write a book about token symbolism, about pretending to care about something and doing performative actions to convey a faux outrage or sympathy for a particular cause. It's token symbolism, virtue signaling, and performative allyship. And you see this in politics, like I said, with the Democrats. You see this when the Democrats take a knee, wearing Kinsey cloths, when Elizabeth Warren has BLM blocks strategically placed behind her while she's giving a speech at the Democratic National Convention. You see it most recently when Joe Biden is talking about putting Harriet Tubman's face on a $20 bill. So you're not going to give people their money, their full $2,000 stimulus, but you give them $1,400 of it, and black people can rejoice in the fact that they have a black person's face on a $20 bill. Performative allyship is dangerous, harmful, and disrespectful, and condescending and arrogant and pretentious and so many other things. You see it all the time in politics. You also see it in big corporations all across America. And one of the biggest corporations, a multi-billion dollar enterprise in America, is the National Football League. The National Football League is not exempt from their own token symbolism and virtue signaling and performative allyship. In the wake of George Floyd being lynched on camera for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, the NFL had this phony social injustice outreach program they've initiated ever since May 25th, 2020. When they've had different players record public service announcements talking about what the NFL is doing for social injustice. And they performatively put rate the words in racism in the back of every end zone in all 30 National Football League stadiums. They've had that they've allowed the players to put Black Lives Matter on their helmet decals. And starting this season, the NFL sang the quote unquote black national anthem, lift every voice and sing before every NFL football game. The NFL will do things like that. They'll put in racism in the back of the end zone, allow players to put BLM on their helmets, and sing Lift Every Voice before every football game. But the NFL still isn't doing anything legitimate or substantial for black people. The NFL still isn't allowing black people to rise in prominence. The NFL still doesn't have black people in major, powerful positions throughout the entire league. Seventy Over 75% of the NFL's black players the players on the field, over 75% are black. When you look throughout the coaching ranks, you look in the front offices, and you look at who owns these football teams, you're not going to see a whole lot of black faces. You're not going to see a whole lot of representation. I say all that to say this. The fact that Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs the past three seasons, wasn't hired or even legitimately and realistically considered for an open head coaching vacancy this, this cycle is absolutely appalling, disgraceful, and ridiculous. How do you have someone who is the offensive coordinator of the most explosive offense in the NFL, a team that's been top five in offense and yards gained the past three seasons, all three seasons he's been the OC for that football team, a team that at his worst since he took over as offensive coordinator in 2018, the worst they've done is reach the conference championship game and lose in overtime to the New England Patriots. That guy with that pedigree and that resume, with coaching Patrick Mahomes, who was publicly on more than one occasion given his seal of approval 
to Eric Bieniemy. You have a guy who has established himself in the past three seasons as one of the best up-and-coming coaches in the National Football League with the credentials that he has, with the success he's had the past three years, and he doesn't even get legitimate consideration for open head coaching vacancies. That is ridiculous. I'll just come out and say it right now. The NFL is, was, and probably always will be a good old boys network. Certain people from certain demographics who look a certain way and fit a certain profile will always be regarded in a higher regard than other people who are infinitely more qualified and better than they are at the same exact job. If you don't look a certain way, if you don't fit a certain profile, if you don't laugh at certain jokes, if you don't come across the right way, if you don't speak a certain way, if you don't look a certain way, if you don't have a certain name, if you aren't friends with certain people, you probably won't be considered for NFL head coaching positions. That's just what I've seen and the way it's been. They had this fraudulent Rooney rule. NFL teams consistently find a way to skirt around that Rooney rule. The Rooney rule, for those of you who don't know, is a National Football League policy that requires league teams to interview minority candidates for head coaching and senior football operation jobs. The Rooney Rule was created in 2002 as a reaction to firings of head coaches Tony Dungy of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Dennis Green of the Minnesota Vikings. At the time when Tony Dungy was fired, he had a winning record, and Green had only one losing season in 10 years, and still both men were fired. 19 years later, the rule was now pretty much meaningless because as it currently stands, out of 32 head coaching positions in the National Football League. Two or only three of those positions are currently occupied by black men. Mike Tomlin with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Brian Flores with the Miami Dolphins, and now David Culley, formerly um, assistant coach with the Baltimore Ravens. Culley is 65 and spent the last two seasons in Baltimore as the Ravens assistant head coach, passing game coordinator, and wide receivers coach. He just finished his 27th season in the NFL after 16 seasons in various college coaching roles. He'll still be the oldest coach in NFL history at the time of his head coaching debut. Cully has never been an offensive coordinator at the NFL level, but he has been an assistant head coach before his stint in Baltimore for the Kansas City Chiefs. To say that this move caught a lot of people off guard would be a gross understatement. No one really had Cully on on anyone's list to be a prospective NFL head coach. He was a passing game coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens last season. The Baltimore Ravens were near the bottom of the league in passing. And quite frankly, a lot of people, myself included, are looking at this as a bridge to eventually get to Josh McCown. Last week, the Houston Texans interviewed Josh McCown to be the head coach of the Houston Texans. McCown's only coaching experience was coaching a high school team a year ago. He was in the NFL last season. He came in relief of Carson Wentz last season in the playoff game versus Seattle Seahawks when Jadavion Clowney leveled a hit on Carson Wentz, knocking him out for the rest of the game. McCown came in, and he was Josh McCown. He was terrible. The Eagles lost. But now, apparently... He has uh, the credentials to be an NFL head coach, more credentials than Eric Bieniemy. Even though bieniemy has been the offensive coordinator for the best team in pro football the last three years and the most explosive offense, Josh McCown, with no coaching background, no coaching experience other than coaching a high school team last season, was going to skip the line and get the job in Houston over Eric Bieniemy, who once again, your star franchise quarterback, Deshaun Watson, openly advocated for, as well as Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith, Andy Reid, and many other credible, qualified people around the NFL. It is believed to be a part of a broader structure that Executive VP of Football Operations Jack Easterby is installing. Easterby wanted Nick Cesario to be the general manager, and Easterby got him. Easterby wanted McCown to be the head coach, and Easterby will get him eventually. So the plan... Basically, from what I see, from my perspective, in Houston right now, is to let 65-year-old David Culley be the token black, be a living, breathing example of token symbolism 
So the Houston Texans could look at everyone and say, look, we hired a minority head coach. You guys wanted us to hire Eric Bieniemy. He wasn't a good fit. You know, he probably didn't interview well, didn't say the right things, not exactly politically correct. But we did hire a minority. We got this brother over here. We got this black guy right here. So we played by the rules. You, you guys can't say anything about us. You can't call us racist. We hired a black coach. In my estimation, they hired the black coach for that specific reason, so he can be the fall guy. Because the Houston Texans know internally they are a depleted football team, depleted by front office ineptitude, completely and totally devoid of talent. You traded DeAndre Hopkins last season for David Johnson, one of the stupidest, dumbest, nonsensical, idiotic trades ever committed in any NFL history. That was fucking ridiculous. And it's been indicative and reflective of who the Houston Texans have been in the last couple of seasons, even without Bill O'Brien. The stupidity still exists in that organization. The ineptitude still remains at the front office level of the Houston Texans. And when I see them hiring David Culley, I see him as a sacrifice and a bridge to eventually get to Josh McCown. So basically what the Houston Texans are going to say is that, yeah, we know we're not going to be a good football team, so let's bring in this black dude so he can coach the team for about one year, maybe two years, so black people will shut up about minorities being hired in pro football. Then when he inevitably fails, we'll fire him and promote Josh McCown to be the head coach. So basically, McCown couldn't be coached right now because there's too much heat in the Houston Texans for not hiring Eric Bieniemy and not playing by the rules of the Rooney rule and not hiring a minority coach, not even talking to minority coaches. So they hired a passing game coordinator from one of the worst passing teams in pro football last season to be the head coach. Now, I know he has a somewhat, uh, a little bit of a relationship with Deshaun Watson going back to last year's Pro Bowl where the Baltimore coaching staff was coaching the AFC last season. They have a little bit of history with each other, but I don't think it's going to be enough. Deshaun Watson is still unhappy, is still asking publicly for a trade, and you completely botched, fucked up, and ruined one of the greatest young talents in the NFL for the past couple of seasons. You depleted his roster around him. You gave away his best receiver for nothing, for crumbs from the Arizona Cardinals. And now here you are. This guy's pissed off and disgruntled, doesn't want to be there anymore. You don't have any first-round draft picks this season, first or second-round draft picks. Your organization's in shambles. The Houston Texans are an absolute mess. Maybe it's a good thing Biennemi didn't go down there. Because then Biennemi would have been the fall guy. I've seen this situation so many times. White people will hire a token black face and then fire them when they don't immediately fix things overnight. This is a league where only three black coaches in it right now. Five minority coaches in general, if you count Ron Rivera from the Washington football team and my man Robert Sala, who was just hired by the New York Jets. So five minority coaches out of 32. The history of this league shows us that white coaches get second, third, fourth chances sometimes, despite being mediocre. Rich Kotite coached two different NFL football teams, the Jets and the Eagles. He was terrible in both places. Jason Garrett was being considered to be a head coach for the L.A. Chargers. Jason Garrett was consistently mediocre in Dallas, despite having stacked, talented rosters almost every year he was down there. They couldn't get to the conference championship game when Jason Garrett is head coach. You look at someone like Adam Gase who was given a second chance from the New York Jets and then recently fired from the New York Jets because he's a fucking terrible football coach. He was given a job in Miami due to being allegedly a quarterback whisperer working with the Denver Broncos when Peyton Manning was the quarterback in Denver. Peyton Manning is Peyton fucking Manning. He doesn't need a quote-unquote quarterback whisperer. He doesn't even need an offensive coordinator. Peyton Manning was the offensive coordinator. The Denver Broncos ran Peyton Manning's offense. He called the shots. Adam Gase was an accessory. You don't need Adam Gase. You have Peyton Manning. If he's such a quarterback whisperer, why didn't it work in Miami with Ryan Tannehill? Why didn't it work in the New York Jets with Sam Darnold? If you're such a quarterback whisperer, if you're this guru 
if you're this connoisseur of playing the quarterback position, why can't you make it work with other quarterbacks? There was talk throughout the league of Josh McDaniels getting a second chance. Josh McDaniels was the head coach with the Denver Broncos many years ago when he had Kyle Orton and Tim Tebow, a quarterback. He was fired due to a losing record. He then accepted a job with the Indianapolis Colts many years ago and then reneged on his word, went back to New England, kind of screwed Indianapolis over, and ended up working out for Indianapolis. They got Frank Reich, who's one of the better coaches in the league right now. But even though he accepted the job somewhere and then turned his back on the organization, changed his mind two days later, completely fucked that team over, teams still consider him for head coaching vacancies. This guy's a liar. This guy is a person of weak moral fiber. He gives you his word and then goes back on his word. He's proven to do that. And teams still consider him for an NFL head coaching vacancy. I can go back to some of the head coaches that were hired last season. Joe Judge was the receivers coach for the 2019 New England Patriots and was hired as the head coach for the 2020 New York football Giants. The 2019 Patriot receivers led the NFL in drops, but their receivers coach gets a job as a head coach in the NFL. Did the Giants favor him because he came from that Bill Belichick coaching tree? We can go down the list of guys who have come from that Bill Belichick coaching tree, and the success has not been there. The results have been absolutely abysmal. Do we need to talk about Charlie Weiss in Notre Dame? I'm a Notre Dame fan. I can tell you firsthand, that fat piece of shit didn't accomplish anything at Notre Dame. Charlie Weiss had a, a losing record at Notre Dame, got a contract extension because he almost beat USC. Didn't actually win the game. They lost the game due to Reggie Bush pushing Matt Leinart into the end zone. Charlie Weiss even illegally uh, told the groundskeeper to let the grass grow a little bit longer in an effort to slow down USC's speedy players. On the first play of the game, on the opening kickoff, Notre Dame's return man tore his ACL because he got his foot caught in a divot in the grass that was growing a little bit too tall, and blew out his knee was out for the rest of the game. So that's Charlie Weiss's main contribution to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. He almost beat USC, and in the process, got, a one, got one of his own players injured and out for the season. Romeo Cornell has been an underachieving coach in the NFL. He's also a part of that Belichick coaching tree. We just talked about Josh McDaniels, how poor he was with the Denver Broncos, how he gave his words to the Indianapolis Colts and then went back on his word. We could talk about Eric Mangini. We could talk about Scott Pioli as an executive going to Kansas City, how he bombed out over there. You got to look at Matt Patricia, who was absolute shit with the Detroit Lions. You look at Brian Flores, who's doing well with Miami. That's probably the only guy off that Belichick coaching tree that has had sustained success in the NFL. And even with the success that Flores had this season, they missed the playoffs. Just to be honest about it, the guy from Belichick's coaching tree who's probably had the most success, not even probably, he has had the most success, is Nick Saban in college. On a pro level, guys who come from the Belichick coaching tree don't pan out. I don't know why the New York Giants were so enamored with Joe Judge that they just had to bring him in especially given the ineptitude of the Patriots receivers when he was a receiver's coach over there. A lot of these teams base who they hire as a head coach off of who they were affiliated with, over who they coached under, who developed them. You often hear people say the NFL is a copycat league. So if one team is having success over a period of time, other teams who are downtrodden, who have not had that type of success, will try to take a coach off that coaching staff, see if they can translate that same success to their organization. Bill Belichick is not alone in this. Andy Reid is another person with a coaching tree throughout the NFL. Two coaches in particular coached under Andy Reid and went on to get head coaching jobs at other teams, uh, Matt Nagy with the Chicago Bears and Doug Peterson, formerly of the Philadelphia Eagles. Both of those men served as offensive assistants, passing game coordinators, offensive coordinators for Andy Reid and went on to get jobs. So what's the problem with Eric Bieniemy? When Bieniemy as offensive assistant and offensive coordinator for Andy Reid 
has had more success as an offensive assistant under Andy Reid than either of those two coaches did. Bienemy took over in 2018. In 2018, Patrick Mahomes, in his first full year as a starter, threw 50 touchdown passes and was voted league MVP. Last season, the Kansas City Chiefs, once again, much to my chagrin, won the Super Bowl. This season, they're right back in the Super Bowl for the second consecutive year. Even with all that success, he still can't get considered in a serious way for an NFL head coaching vacancy. You look at Nagy and you look at Peterson. Both of those guys had success once they left Andy Reid with their respective teams. Matt Nagy's had Chicago in the playoffs two of the last three years. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl. Now, I know Doug Peterson has just been fired, but he still won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. So it's been proven that coaches who come from the Andy Reid coaching tree can have success in this league. Yet teams still don't want to hire Eric Bieniemy, And I was watching a pro football talk the other day with Mike Florio doing an interview with uh, Mike Tirico and Tony Dungy, who all work for NBC Sports. And Tony Dungy can provide perspective on this the average person can. Tony Dungy is a legendary NFL head coach, a Super Bowl champion winning head coach, the architect of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers renaissance in the late 90s with that cover two, Tampa two defense that he installed one of the great defensive minds in NFL history, one of the great coaches in NFL history. So Tony Dungy was on there telling Mike Florio and Mike Tirico about the process that goes into being a black head coach, how you have to interview, what different teams and organizations and owners are looking for. And he tried to explain his enemy situation. He said that a lot of teams have an identity that they're looking for, a certain style and the way they want to play football. And a prospective head coach that they talk to in an interview might not fit that same mold, that same profile. Also, he explained, teams typically want to hire the antithesis of the last coach they had. Uh, this was explained by all three of them, by Florio, by Tarico, by Dungy. That teams will typically try to go in the opposite direction of the coach they just previously had. So the previous coach who just got fired was a player-friendly coach. was kind of laid back and loose about everything. The team, once they fired him, would go in the opposite direction to bring in a hardcore disciplinarian with a militaristic style of coaching. And it, vice versa. If the previous coach was a, a tough disciplinarian, and he gets fired to go the opposite way and bring in a player-friendly coach. So in regards to the enemy, he was trying to explain that maybe he didn't fit the profile of what certain teams were looking from an ideological standpoint, from an approach, from a discipline standpoint, et cetera. There could be a litany of legitimate, justifiable reasons why the enemy was not brought in as a head coach. Me, personally, I'm not buying any of them. I'm not buying what Tony Dungy is saying. As much respect as I have for Tony Dungy, I'm calling bullshit on all that. You can look at what this guy's accomplished with Kansas City. You can look at the reverence in which Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith, and Andy Reid himself all talk about him. All the players in the Kansas City Chiefs of the past three years since the enemy's been there. You can look and listen to the way they all talk about him. And you can see this is an NFL head coach. This guy has the potential. This guy has what it takes to be a coach. Players gravitate toward him. Players are receptive of what he's talking about. You look at the play design, the innovation, the creativity of the Kansas City Chiefs offense, in particular in the red zone. That's Eric Bieniemy. A lot of people, and I think what kind of hurt, one thing that does hurt Bieniemy, or another thing that hurts Bieniemy, is the fact that everyone gives all the credit for the play calling of the Kansas City Chiefs offense to Andy Reid. While doing so, they neglect to give any credit whatsoever to Eric Bieniemy and his role in the game plan, in, in, in the installation of the game plan, and the creativity and innovation of the game plan, and their play calling from what they do from a schematic standpoint. People don't give Eric Bieniemy the credit he deserves for his role in that Kansas City Chiefs offense. And I think there's another thing that goes against him that hurts him in these head coaching vacancies. I think a lot of people just look at Bieniemy as being a recipient of Andy Reid's style and play calling and creativity, what he does, 
and his reputation. But they didn't say those same things about Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson, though. But for, for Eric Bieniemy, it's, oh, well, he's got Andy Reid, he's got Patrick Mahomes, he's got the best offense in the league, and he got Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, et cetera. No credit given whatsoever to Eric Bieniemy. Uh, for me personally, I was hoping Bieniemy would get the Chargers job because I look at that, I, th- I thought the Chargers and the Jaguars were the two best jobs available. Jacksonville, because they had the first pick in the draft, they have $100 million in cap space. They're in Florida, no state income tax. I thought that was a great job to get potentially Urban Meyer was brought in. Uh, formerly of Ohio State and Florida, Utah and Bowling Green, one of the greatest college football coaches of all time. So he got that job. We'll see how he does. College coaches don't have a great track record in the NFL. Although I'll say this, I'll say this real quick about Urban Meyer. I think people who try to put that label on him of being a college football coach, and because of that, he won't have success in the NFL. That's an outdated way of thinking. That was in the old days. Today, the NFL and college football are more together than ever before. You've seen the marriage of college concepts coming into the NFL and NFL playbooks now more than you ever have seen it in, in all of professional football. NFL teams are running, for the most part, a variation of Urban Meyer's offense that he created when he was in college, that spread offense. He's the grandfather of that offense. He cultivated that offense. He, ran, he had that offense run to perfection that you talk about Alex Smith. Then went to Florida and had Tim Tebow run an offense and become arguably the greatest college football quarterback of all time in that offense. And you look at what he did at Ohio State. But a lot of teams are taking a lot of those concepts and brought it to the NFL level. I think Meyer can have success because it's a new day in the NFL and college concepts and college-style offense and gimmicks and plays and RPOs and things like that are in vogue in today's NFL. And Urban Meyer was the grandfather of that kind of offense. Uh, so my prediction with Jacksonville, I think Urban Meyer will have four good seasons, made the playoffs a couple of times, return respectability and credibility to Jacksonville, then flame out the medical emergency that coincidentally coincides with some type of off-the-field controversy going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars. In about four or five years, he'll step down, return back to TV, and go about his business. That seems to be the arc, the career arc of Urban Meyer. Have a good four or five-year run. Something happens. You blame it on your health. You leave. Take a, take a little break on TV for a minute, for a year or two, then jump back in the coaching ranks. But I think he will have success in Jacksonville. But I thought that was one of the better job openings available. And I thought the Chargers was another great job opening because you already have your franchise quarterback. Typically, not even typically, 100% of the time, the biggest downfall of brand-new prospective NFL head coaches is the fact they don't have a legitimate quarterback at any point in their tenure with that, with that team. It's always the biggest downfall of brand-new coaches in the NFL. It's hard to have success when you don't have a good quarterback. Well, the Chargers already have one in Justin Herbert. And I think if you could have brought in the enemy, I think an offensive-minded coach is what he needed. They brought in Brandon Staley from the L.A. Rams, which is good for him. He doesn't have to move or anything like that. He's already in Los Angeles. But you're bringing in a defensive head coach from the best player in your team is your quarterback. And I don't understand that. I know their defense was kind of sh- shaky and up and down a little bit last year, but I, I attribute that more to injuries, not having guys like Derwin James and Melvin Ingram most of the season. The offense was good. Herbert had a great rookie of the year caliber season, but I think it can go to even greater heights if you bring in an offensive mastermind like enemy and then use this draft to get Herbert some more pieces around him. Plus, you're in the same division as Kansas City. He has intel of what they do internally. He knows their offense in and out. So for a lot of reasons, I was hoping that uh, the enemy would get that L.A. Chargers job, but it wasn't meant to be. Brandon Staley, who, to his credit, presided over L.A. Rams defense that was number one in the league this past season. 
uh, got the job. I just still think the enemy was more qualified for that job with what he's done. Brandon Staley has only been a defensive coordinator in the NFL for one season. Eric Bieniemy has been a running back coach and uh, offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs since 2018. So I felt like from an experience standpoint and what he's proven in his league, the credentials that he brings to the table, Bieniemy should have gotten that Chargers job over Brandon Staley. But the powers that be, I guess, thought that Bieniemy wasn't a good interview or something like that. That's a, you know, that's a sore spot with me. That pisses me off on a lot of levels because, you know, I've been on the wrong end of that myself, being told that I don't interview well because I don't speak a certain way, because I don't look a certain way. As I said before, it, it comes down to kissing people's ass. And that's what I think a lot of people in corporate America are looking for. And these executives and these owners of NFL teams are no different. They want someone to come in there and kiss their ass during the interview. They want someone who laughs at all their corny-ass jokes, someone who agrees with them. They want yes-men. They want yes-men. They want ass-kissers, brown-nosers, bootlickers, whatever you want to call it. Establishment doesn't like when people come in and disagree with them. That's dangerous to the overall growth of your football team or any organization because instead of bringing in the best person for the job, you bring in the best ass-kisser in a lot of situations. You bring in the best brown-noser. You bring in the best bootlicker. You don't bring in the most qualified, capable, and deserving person of the job. You bring in the person who you like the most. I've, I've often said many times in life that it's not about what you know. It's about who you know and how much they like you. If you have good friends in high places, you'll be okay in this world. You'll be taken care of. You'll be privy to different opportunities that other people are not exposed to. And you definitely see that a lot in the NFL because you keep seeing retread head coaches get second, third, and fourth opportunities, but qualified, good, capable, deserving assistant coaches like Eric Bieniemy get overlooked because they don't fit a certain profile and they don't laugh at enough corny-ass jokes. Another excuse I've seen floating around for why Bieniemy wasn't brought in is because he's the offensive coordinator for a team that's about to go play in the Super Bowl, and teams don't feel like waiting that long. I'm going to call bullshit once again on that. The NFL Combine is until February and the brand-new NFL League year does not officially begin until March 17th. The NFL Draft is April 29th. So there's a lot of shit that's still far away from happening. We don't necessarily need a coach right now. On top of that, we've seen many examples over the years of teams being patient and waiting for an assistant coach who's connected to a Super Bowl participating team to interview them for a prospective job. San Francisco 49ers waited till the Atlanta Falcons played in and lost Super Bowl 51 to bring Kyle in as their next head coach. The Atlanta Falcons in 2016 had the best offense in pro football. Matt Ryan was league MVP. They were flying high, literally, into the Super Bowl 28-3. We all know how it went from there. But Shanahan was, look, was looked at as one of the best and brightest young minds in the game for the work he had put in in Washington, Cleveland, Houston, and then with Atlanta with that explosive offense they had that season. And the 49ers waited until after the Super Bowl to bring in Kyle Shanahan. The Miami Dolphins hired Brian Flores after Super Bowl 53 when he was a defensive coordinator for the New England Patriots and they beat the Rams 13-3. The Miami Dolphins patiently waited for the Patriots to go play in and win the Super Bowl and then interviewed Brian Flores and brought him in for a head coaching job. So there's a precedent for this. Teams over the years have waited, have shown they can wait, for an assistant coach to fulfill his obligations to his current team and then interview and hire him to a new team, to their team. It can be done. And that excuse doesn't work for me on another level. What are you trying to say in that? When you say that, well, he's currently offensive coordinator for a team about to go play in the Super Bowl, you know, the process is dragging on and on. We want to get a coach in now. So what is he supposed to do? Is he, are you going to wait for the Kansas City Chiefs to go 5-11 and next season? 
Are you going to wait for them to go 4-12 and and miss the playoffs? Or they can make the playoffs and be a first-round exit? Is that what you're saying? That team ain't slowing down no time soon, not with the people they got over there. For as long as he's the assistant coach in Kansas City, they're going to be in the playoffs, and at the worst, they're going to be in a conference championship game. So if you want to hire Eric Bieniemy, you're probably going to have to wait anyway. And what is the rush? What games, if you're a team not named Tampa Bay or Kansas City, who are you playing right now? What games are on the schedule for you? Zero. So you can have some patience. Like I said, the league year does not start till March 17th. You have time to bring a coach in and let him evaluate your roster and figure out what he wants to do going forward, starting with the combine, the free agency, and so on and so forth, and the draft in April. There's no excuses not to hire Eric Bieniemy as an NFL head coach. If the NFL wants to continue forward with all these fraudulent platitudes and this phony outreach and talk about social injustice and doing things for black people and so on and so on, start hiring some black coaches, start hiring some black executives, and move on with that. Do something real. Do something tangible. Do something that actually matters. That's substance. Affirm the integrity and the dignity of the black man working in your league on the sidelines and in the front office. Not just the players. What the NFL is basically saying in all this is that you can work in the plantation, you can work out in the fields, but you can't come inside the house. That's basically what they're telling all these black coaches, black assistant coaches all across the NFL. Raheem Morris in Atlanta. Raheem Morris, I feel like, should have been promoted to the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. You look at the job he did taking over from Dan Quinn this season, Atlanta was a much better football team in the second half of the season down the stretch. The hardest game Kansas City had all season other than, other than the one game they lost to, to the Las Vegas Raiders, the toughest game they had down the stretch was versus Atlanta. Atlanta came in and gave them fits. That was a game Atlanta easily could have won. They held Kansas City under 20 points. I thought Raheem Morris did an outstanding job for the Atlanta Falcons down the stretch towards the end of the season. But Atlanta chose to go in a different direction, breaking in Arthur Smith, the OC from the Tennessee Titans. And Raheem Morris took a job with the Rams once again as an assistant coach. And I just... I'm just going to call it where it is. It's absolute bullshit. There's a good old boys network that exists and permeates throughout the NFL. It's toxic. Not giving black coaches the same opportunities we give white coaches is reprehensible. Put end racism in the back of the end zone. You can sing left every voice before every game. It doesn't mean shit if the black men in your league who are not actively playing football are forever marginalized and neglected because they don't fit a certain profile or quote unquote interview well. The NFL has to do better. Maybe Bienemy and uh, Raheem Morris and the rest of these brothers should talk about biting off kneecaps like Dan Campbell, the new head coach of the Detroit Lions, was talking about at his press conference. That's another example of if a black person did this, it would not have worked out so well for them. If a brother came to his introductory press conference for any job and was talking about biting off kneecaps and bloody noses and all this ridiculous dumbass shit that Dan Campbell was talking about, they would be fired the day after they were hired. We got to look a certain way. We got to present ourselves a certain way. We got to be a certain way, be, be articulate, be eloquent in our speech, be prim and proper in our presentation just to even be considered. Resume has to be impeccable, completely devoid of all controversy. That's another angle I heard people trying to use against Eric Bieniemy is that he's a criminal record. He has a past. 1988, Bieniemy and a teammate were involved in a bar fight. In Boulder, Colorado, on July 4th, 1990, Bienemy pleaded, pleaded no contest to interfering with a firefighter who had been performing his duties to extinguish a fire in Bienemy's mother's garage. Bienemy received an eight-month suspended sentence and was suspended from one game. In 89, Bienemy was ticketed in Westminster, Colorado for driving a defective vehicle and in Aurora, Colorado for speeding. 
In September of 1993, Bienemy was arrested in Boulder, Colorado for allegedly harassing a female parking attendant. According to the police report, while with his friends, Bienemy put his hand on the attendant's neck and told her that a bunch of black males all at once were her worst nightmare. In April 2001, Bienemy was arrested for driving under the influence and docked a month's pay. So his most recent transgression was 2001. It was 20 years ago. But of course, in the minds of many white people, whatever's done in your past as a black person is forever an indictment on who you are as a person going forward for the rest of your life. Because Biennemi had some transgressions, some run-ins with the law, some issues 20, 30 years ago. That should prevent him from ever becoming a head coach in the NFL. Get the fuck out of here. That's no different from any time a black person gets shot by the police for minding their own business and white people would dig up some shit from their past. Oh, he had a jaywalking charge in 2009. Oh, he got caught with an eighth of weed back in 2011. Oh, he had an illegal outstanding parking ticket in 2002. So that means he should have been shot in his back seven times. Once again, get the fuck out of here. We are always held to a higher standard. The NFL owners are hypocritical and should be absolutely embarrassed and ashamed of themselves. Jim Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, is a cokehead and a drunk and has been in and out of rehab since 2014. Maybe he should sell the team then, since we're so worried about what guys did years ago, since we're so worried about public perception and image and everything. Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, paid five bucks for a rug and tug at a Florida massage parlor the morning of the AFC Championship game. Dan Snyder, absolutely disgraceful owner of the Washington Pro Football Team in Landover, got caught pimping out his own team cheerleaders on a calendar photo shoot in Cancun. That's just one incident among the many incidents that have occurred with that team since Snyder took ownership of it. What I'm trying to say is you have these owners who are nefarious in their own behavior, have their own incidents from past, from over the years in the past, yet they want to be hypocritical and try to hold it against a black coach because of something he did 20, 30 years ago. I really hope that wasn't the case. I really hope that wasn't a deal breaker for a lot of teams not wanting to bring Biennemi in, but you never know. But overall, it's a shame that Biennemi wasn't uh, hired in this coaching cycle for all the coaching vacancies that were that were out there. Same thing with Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator with the Buffalo Bills. You have credible coaches like that leading quality football teams deep into the playoffs, and they're not even considered for NFL head coaching vacancies. Meanwhile, other coaches with a lesser pedigree were brought in to coach different football teams all, all over the NFL. This is a persistent problem that the NFL has always had in regards to race and giving black people prominent positions of power. For so long, it used to be the quarterback position. It took a long time for brothers to really get taken seriously playing quarterback. Now you look at the NFL, at least 10 teams in the NFL either have or had a black starting quarterback at some point this season. I would probably say even more than that. This is off the top of my head. But now, you know, a black quarterback has now been accepted. Uh, you look at Mahomes, you look at Watson, you look at Lamar Jackson, Brothers like that, Russell Wilson up there in Seattle. Black quarterbacks have been accepted, but now black coaches still are continuing to fight that uphill climb for respectability and getting jobs. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous and embarrassing to portray and flaunt this facade of inclusivity and not hire black people in prominent positions of power, head coaches, executives, etc., so on and so on. Uh, that's just my take on the whole situation. Hopefully, Biennemi and Raheem Morris and other deserving black uh, assistant coaches and coordinators in the NFL get jobs next season during the next hiring cycle after the conclusion of the 2021 season. We'll see what happens with all that. That about wraps it up for this episode of the Dion Gordon Podcast. Picture me rolling. I'm out.